as a base here with jasmine cream and on top flowers and fruits from around the world that were edible to create that rainbow. It takes days of drying, so it's a very complicated dish. Very good. I think the concept is interesting, and I'm obviously tasting it and enjoying it and the experience, but there's definitely some chefs that are just lapping it up. Oh, I love the dish. It's so iconically Gagan. This is like the Willy Wonka scene where every single time you licked a different color, it was a different flavor. Blueberry, hibiscus, tropical flavors. It's in your beard. You can taste that. It's not like a gimmick. Welcome to the Eat Your Content Podcast. I am, again, your host, Rich Herrera. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. You have a lot of pods to choose from, and I thank you for choosing this one. Uh, a couple of program reminders. Uh, again, we're going to continue our weekly Top Chef recaps, so join me and uh, Chef Kenny as we break them down. And also, I'm going to be starting a new series called Eat Your Content Refire. So this is going to be a fun little series where we go back and look at some uh, foodie films from the past, and, and me and some foodie friends will get together and talk about it and, and kind of, you know, give our takes on it. So that'll be a little break from the Top Chef uh, recaps. So make sure you hit that like and subscribe button uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on socials. Uh, follow EYC at Rich Herrera on Instagram and on Facebook. So again, welcome to the pod, Chef Kenny, a.k.a. Kanji McGee, which I think I'm going to call you that from now on. <laughs> Kanji McGee. It, it just rolls right off the tongue. How you doing, Kanji man? McGee. Good, man. How are you? <laughs> good, good. You are coming off fresh from your appearance. Well, I say fresh. It was filmed sometime last year, but fresh off the appearance of Alex versus America on Food Network. So we're going to start and talk about that for just a little bit before we dive into Top Chef. Uh, so if you haven't seen Alex versus America on Food Network, it's kind of a cross between Chopped and Beat Bobby Flay. Um, there's different things you have to choose from. You choose an ingredient. You choose the type of cuisine you're going to make. And then it's all up against Alex Gornishelli for money. Um, Alex could win, may not win. Everything's blind taste tested. So it's a, it's an interesting, interesting show. Um, and, and Kenny, you, you went on and you, you fought valiantly, but it unfortunately was not to be, uh, you didn't quite make, make it all the way through. You made it through the first round, made it and didn't quite make it through the second round. Uh, so let's talk about that a little bit. The, it was chicken. So I, I don't want to say battle chicken because it's kind of iron chefy, but, uh, but the chicken was the main ingredient. And I thought, it was interesting. The very first thing you guys chose from the first round, the survivor round, was the type of chicken, and they had a silky chicken on there. And I thought that was appropriate because you are the chef and owner of Silkies in Jacksonville, named after that that kind of chicken. So, how hard was it to talk? You wanted to do the silky chicken. Nobody else wanted to do it. So, you know, what was that? What was that like trying to convince people, and then finally just you know saying, okay, I'll do do what you guys want to do. It was, it was interesting because uh, I, I wanted to do something that, you know, obviously not everyone's going to be used to seeing versus just, you know, you know, regular chicken or the capon. And the bluefoot's not a regular chicken, but, you know, there were all three specially, you know, you know, birds. Um, I, I, I would have wished to and wanted to actually go with the silky chicken, obviously, um, you know, because I've worked with it a bunch of times. I mean, I've cooked a bunch of chicken, so it's not like it was anything brand new but yeah I, I i wanted to you know to give the the viewers something special to look at that was not normal you know like i thought that would have been more fun to cook the silky chicken yeah yeah so what did what did you make in that first round again uh describe the dish that you, that you made there so i did a um 
uh, I made uh, congee, um, you know, with some jasmine rice. I, I ground it up and cooked it with coconut milk and add some lemongrass and ginger. Um, you know, it was, you know, very, very, very fragrant, you know, kind of some Thai flavors. Um, I married the, uh, the, the chicken uh, breast. I, took, I removed the breast and made a, um, you know, and, and brined it really quickly and sous vide it at the same time. It had like a lot of, um, you know, kind of, you know, Asian, uh, you know, you know, aromatics, you know, it had like ponzu and uh, there was some lemongrass and some ginger, <clears throat> a little sesame oil, uh, hot mustard oil. Because uh, I wanted that the flavors to really penetrate as it was cooking, so that the best way to do it was while I was in a circulator, uh, and then I went ahead and fried it. Um, I did a uh, goju chang uh, honey drizzle o- over it. Um, you know, the kanji is basically a rice porridge. That was the ca- kind of the canvas that had a lot of flavor, and then we had to use um, <clears throat> one of the eggs. The egg option um, was uh, we used a hundred-year-old egg or fermented egg, and I made an aioli with that, <clears throat> so that way you had a little. Uh, creamy, nice little uh, fermented pockets of that creamy egg uh, on top, and then a bunch of other little uh, little vegetable garnishes. The, you know, uh, tomatoes with a little ginger, uh, ponzu dressing, steam, uh, you know, ba- you know, baby bok choy leaves, uh, just some shaved truffle. There was a truffle ponzu that went on it as well. So the theme was a uh, a fine dining type dish. Uh, and you had to use, you know, we had to pick the chicken and we had to have a special egg that went with it. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, it looked really good. And, and you made it through that that first round there. Um, they really enjoyed the dish. The the guy that got eliminated made a, made a chicken taco, but unfortunately didn't quite make it through. And then it's you and um, Chef Zoe, who's also known for fried chicken. And then it's Chef Alex Warnishelli for the money round and kind of decide who the winner is. And and uh, and yeah, so you you made a uh, a chicken nudie dish, which I thought looked great. And you cooked everything in chicken. But some of the comments at the end from the judges and the judges were Jet Tila and some guy I've never seen before. I don't know who that dude is. Um, I, but uh, they said it was more of a nudie dish than a chicken dish. But you cooked the nudie in schmaltz right you had schmaltz in the nudie yeah uh so when i and i added schmaltz actually in the uh the ricotta dumpling uh dough so that actually every bite you were going to get the chicken fat in there and then after i blanched it off i seared it in chicken fat so every bite you were getting chicken you know we had to use the uh the soup you know can you know uh chicken noodle soup um so i took that soup and I pureed it um, and then passed it through a, a chinois. And then I basically added olive oil and lemon and garlic and basil, um, olives, uh, piquilla peppers, um, fennel. And I cooked it down really, really slow. Um, and then uh, I sous vide the, the chicken again. So the, the whole idea of the sous vide was one, penetrating the, the marinade that I put in there, which was a, like a arugula pesto because uh, the theme was a mild spice um for the for the preparation um so i made sure that it was um i wanted to make sure that it was uh not spicy but it had good flavor um so that's why i went the mediterranean route uh, otherwise i would have gone something a lot more aggressive and so i, I took the uh the pepperiness of the arugula made a pesto to marinate the chicken in threw that in the circulator uh so while i was working on my other things like the nudie uh i knew that okay if the chicken was already 75 percent cooked then i had to just get a nice char on, on the grill right and and I guess they were saying um, 
you know, they it wasn't chicken forward enough. And, and I'm guessing they meant the actual pieces of chicken because things were cooked in chicken. Um, but I don't know. I guess they didn't feel like they got enough chicken. It's, it's weird because I didn't put a big fried chicken leg on top of a biscuit. You know what I mean? Like I was I was cooking and I uh, every bite I actually, you know, had chicken in it. Cause I grilled the chicken leg, cut some of the leg meat off and then chopped it up and then put it in with the broth. So basically, as you're getting a bite, you're getting chunks of chicken. And then I also had uh, the the boned out chicken leg that was grilled that was on top as well. So that way you're getting like a smokiness and grilled flavor uh, complementing, you know, that rich soup. Because, you know, we had to use the soup, um, the chicken noodle soup as a base. Yeah. And so I wanted I wanted to really be aggressive with that in the show that how you can make something delicious by taking that base. Um, and then, so like every bite you were getting was use of every ingredient perfectly. Um, but I didn't give them a big chunk of chicken, but you know, whatever. <laughs> well, you know, you can't win them all. So let, let's count your food network appearances, right? So you, you won Cutthroat Kitchen back in the day, and then yep. you also beat Bobby Flay. Uh, yep. Alex versus America was the recent one. So you're, you're two and one. You're two and one. You're still, you're still, oh, food, you know, oh, food network. yeah, 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 for sure. It's still, yeah. it's still a winning average on food network appearances where well, you got guys grocery games, you got, um, you know, chopped, you got, yeah, you know, it'll come, it'll come. <laughs> Don't sweat it. Don't sweat it. But it was a good appearance. It was fun. I think a lot of people enjoyed it. Um, you know, I was watching on social media and, and a lot of your followers were, were having a good time and posting about it. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah. and, and it comes out right when your cookbook was coming out. Uh, that was serendipitous. So, you know, yeah, you, couldn't, and, you know, couldn't promote it on the show, but at least, you know, your name was out there alongside with the cookbook. And, and representing Jacksonville. I mean, I think, yeah, it was yeah. pretty, I think what's amazing is the fact that you're you're representing your state and the fact that, it, you know, it you know it has my name and then Jacksonville, Florida, and then Silky Chicken and Champagne Bar. I mean, I'm constantly repping this city as much as I possibly can. And, um, you know, it feels good that you'd be on a national stage like that and, had the opportunity to showcase my talent and my ability for the city. Yeah, that's awesome. And and Jacksonville's better for it. So again, congrats on the uh, on the appearance. Sorry you didn't you didn't win, but another day, another time. No problem. You ready to talk about Top Chef? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's get right into it. So I'm gonna jump right in because there's there's kind of a lot to talk about. There's a lot of um, themes in play with with this episode and a lot of really interesting things so i'm going to jump right into the quick fire um the the guest judge for the quick fire is Gagan anon which uh was featured on netflix's chef's table series and mm. everybody is starstruck i mean everybody walks in and goes oh my god is that is that Gagan anon they're whispering is that Gagan? is that Gagan anon and you know he's he is probably one of the more most influential chefs working today um, number five restaurant in Asia, uh, according to the world's best 50 list. He is a pioneer of molecular gastronomy. Uh, he, he's actually known for his uh, emoji tasting uh, menu. It's a 25 course tasting menu, all based around emojis, which, you know, is fun and whimsical. Uh, and that comes into play here. This whole, in, in fact, this whole episode essentially was around Goggin's concept of not just the emoji dish, but um, as we look at to the elimination challenge later on, um, eating uh, a, a course without utensils, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So uh, the challenge was to choose an emoji and create a dish inspired by it so that the chefs are presented with this huge board of emojis. Uh, and they had about 20 or so to pick from. And uh, so the concept of this was 
uh, Gagan was creating a menu in, in 2016 and he was typing out on his iPad. And when you type things on an iPad or on an iPhone, sometimes a suggested emoji will pop up. So that happened and it, his wheels immediately started turning and then he created a 25 course meal based on all the emojis that that were um, available to him. So mm-hmm. that's the concept of this quick fire. Uh, so with the winner gets immunity and they had 30 minutes uh, on the clock. So what did you think about um, one, the guest judge? Cause I think that I'm kind of thinking back, this is probably the most high profile guest judge they've had in a minute. Um, so what do you think of the overall concept of it? And then um, Gagan himself. You know, uh, I've seen him on the, um, you know, on Netflix in the series, you know, and, you know, he's, you know, had one of the best restaurants in the world and, you know, and, you know, his, his approach to food um, is, is, you know, is his artistic approach. I think it's amazing. I think what's interesting is that, uh, you know, you're bringing in a chef that, um, you know, is kind of like the, the, the more the rock star hipster in terms of, the philosophy of how you eat, you know, eating with your senses and different things, you know, and when you look at the Ferran Andreas and the Jose Andreas and, you know, you know, the Michael Vitaggio's and a lot of these different chefs that, that really, you know, have you think one way in terms of the dish, you know, in terms of what you assume for an appearance, but then the flavor is exactly the way it's supposed to be, but it looks totally different. You know, there's some of these people that, that really have a very unique artistic approach about that. And I thought it was a great challenge. I mean, they're, they're over in London. Uh, you know, you're in the, the land of a, a lot, many Michelin star restaurants and some of the best chefs cooking from around the world. They're able to use their, that expression. I think it's great that they're able to do that and they're highlighting that. I thought it was a very, uh, it was a very exciting challenge in, in, in episode. Yeah, I thought it was really neat to watch. And this, this entire episode was actually confined to the Top Chef kitchen. There was no special field trips, no, really wasn't a really a Britain based anything on this one it was just showcase your creativity go nuts um they this was Mm -hmm. pretty much free reign on whatever they wanted to do which i think a lot of chefs definitely took advantage of so you know there were some interesting emojis i think uh nicole got the disguised emoji so what you were talking about trying to make something different look like something else um one thing was interesting ali got the four leaf clover emoji symbolizing luck but he didn't understand that it was a four leaf clover it was uh it was a uh he called it a leaf emoji so he just made something like really herbaceous and yeah. it was interesting because you know gagan con- uh, con- gagan's concept of this menu was the universal language of emojis and i thought well not all emojis are universal apparently <laughs> and uh the yeah. four leaf clover didn't translate so you had some fun emojis um going on so the the winner though uh was buddha which you could tell he was like a kid in a sandbox with this challenge yeah. and it was funny uh that he brought molds with him we're going to find out later on that he brought a thousand dollars worth of molds with him on this trip and i'm just thinking i remember you said in a previous pod that yeah when they when you get the information you're only allowed to bring you know certain things apparently on the special all-star episode you can bring whatever you want to bring and he brought a thousand dollars worth of molds and he featured one of his molds on the quick fire which was um the skull uh, the skull mold and his emoji was the freezing emoji, the the blue kind of smiley face or teeth chattering freezing. So his his uh, dish was freezing myself to death. It was frozen coconut water, coconut cream, coconut sorbet with damson plum and candy ginger. He formed it into the shape of that skull 
and uh, the puree beneath it was a raspberry and damson puree for quote unquote a bit of gore. Um, and this was right up his alley. And it was it was fun watching him watching him cook in this particular challenge. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I, when I saw when I saw what he played it, I was like, yeah, this is. I, I was I was I was curious to see how he was going to flex. You know, I was here to see what he was what it, what his dish was going to look like, and and that, and it was it was it looked great. It looked great. Yeah, I thought it was really fun. Um, I like fun food. You know, I like you know, when I'm when I see that when I saw that plate. If I had that in front of me, I would just kind of stare at it for a minute because I'm like, this is really cool looking. And then as you dug into it and you get the, the quote unquote bit of gore and all the different flavors that comes with that, mm. it, that's fun. You know, I'm 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 I like whimsy. I like fun, and uh, it's some of my dishes. And that was definitely definitely both. So Buddha wins the quick fire challenge. Uh, so he gets immunity in the next challenge, which uh, is probably a good thing for him. We'll talk about later on. So we go right into the elimination challenge. There's not really a, a, a break in there. They finish that and they go right into the elimination challenge. Um, and they present, everybody gets a cloche and they're all wondering, ooh, what's going on? What's, what's, what's this mysterious thing? They pull the cloche and they're presented with one of Gagan's signature dishes, which is called Rainbow World. Um, it's a map of the world made with jasmine cream paste. And on top of the cream is a rainbow of colors made with dried fruits and flowers from around the world. Um, so Gagan said it takes him like, I think he said three days or something to, to cook this dish because he has to dry everything out and, and create a dust with it. Um, and and he, this is not eaten with any utensils. You lick it up. And so the challenge was um, to make a dish that sends a message, is visually stunning, and can be eaten without utensils. So the message behind Gagan's Rainbow World dish was during COVID, he saw that there was a, a lot of hate on social media, still is, but I digress, uh, a lot of hate on social media, and he wanted to spread a message of love on his plate, especially to the LGBT community uh, as a rainbow. So this is the result of that. So he combines that with, with one of his other dishes from his emoji uh, tasting menu called Lick It Up, and you, you lick it up with your tongue. So uh, this is a really interesting challenge. Create a dish that sends a message, visually stunning, can be eaten without utensils. You get 90 minutes. Uh, for the day one cook and then an hour 45 for day two. So when you heard this challenge, uh, again, what, what are the challenges that the chefs are running into here um, to make this food with those kind of three criteria? I, I think that, you know, it, it's, you're having to come up with one, the, the flavor, the flavor you want to want to achieve. And then how is that going to be represented in terms of eating eating it with your hands, you know, or, or licking it, licking it up. It's like, how do you, how do you eat this where it's just like, it's just very sensual hands, you know, uh, and I think that if you're not used to cooking in that manner, um, then it might be something a little different, you know, like I think Sarah's approach was, uh, was great. Some of the chefs, I think some things they didn't think through, um, but I think that the challenges is really like, Hey, uh, what can I do if I'm going to, if I want to eat with my hands and I'm going to pick something up, get a bite that's all encompassing. What is that flavor going to be like? I mean, I would have immediately started thinking, you know, I would have thought, you know, uh, like a Lotus, you know, uh, a shiso leaves, you know, and something wrapped in, in that, you know, where you kind of, you have it all mixed up, uh, or betta leaves. And then you kind of just, you're dragging a sauce, uh, if you think about the African culture, like Ethiopian you know, and jari bread or some kind of crepe, 
uh, with some kind of braised sauce that you kind of slopping up, you know, because the whole idea is a very sensual aspect of like kind of just dipping and eating your hands, which a lot of cultures do. Think about West African, you know, the, you know, fufu, you know, in, in a different way, you know, the, the, the palm nut soups where you're kind of taking that fufu and kind of making a dimple in it. And as you scoop, you're kind of getting the broth and eating with the meat with your hands. Um, so it's not a far cry, you know, from, it's not necessarily a hard thing, but it's like, what is going to be like, how do you bring it all together where it basically represents your culture and your food and, and making it whimsical and beautiful. That, that's a key thing. They knew that this was, this is a challenge where they all got a chance to really flex and do whatever they wanted, express yourself the way you want. What is, what is your passion? Um, so I think it's, I think it's amazing. I think it was like gloves off, do what you got to do. Um, it, it was fun watching it. Yeah. And what you're talking about, a lot of cultures have, um, specific foods or types of cuisines that you eat with your hands, even in, as a Filipino, you know, I, uh, there's a Filipino, um, dish or I don't want to say dish, but an event really called a Kamayan where everything is laid out on the table with banana leaves and you're eating with your hands and, and it's just a, a fun time of gathering. Um, so yeah, I, I think if you think about the challenge, it really was just go crazy, like go nuts. And one thing that I found funny when I was uh, watching the interview pieces as they were describing the rainbow world and, and like I said, the, the chefs are starstruck. Dale was interesting. He said, I think the concept is interesting and I'm obviously tasting and enjoying it and the experience, but there's definitely some chefs that are just lapping it up. And then the immediate cut to Buddha, um, who's waxing poetic about the dish, how it's iconically Gagan and compares it to Willy Wonka. And so interesting to have that two dichotomies. And as I was watching this, Dale and Buddha kind of represent two camps of this type of um, fine dining where, you know, Gagan, you're, he's charging 600 bucks a person for a 25 course meal. And, you know, my wife was watching, she's like, that is the most pretentious thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and, and I'm on, I'm not t so far on Buddhism, but I thought, oh, this would be fun. I'd enjoy that. It'd be a good time. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So it's, it's, it's interesting. You have yeah. two, it, it almost reminded me of, have you ever seen the movie, The Menu? With uh, Ray Fiennes, kind of a satire of fine dining and, and those that, um, I don't know, kind of worship at the altar of fine dining. It kind of reminded me of that. It was it was really interesting. But you know, you do have some people that that think fine dining like this is is um, pretentious, and then you have those that look at it as it's art. It's art, just like painting is art, just like songwriting is an art, just like you know anything is an art. Just your medium is is food and plates. Yeah. What, what did you think of that dichotomy? I you know I. I was very fortunate in my younger years. I went and trained over in, uh, in Barcelona, Spain, and, and I ate at a lot of, you know, two and one star Michelin restaurants. And I trained at a two star Michelin restaurant in Palma, Mallorca, and uh, a restaurant called, um, you know, Cold Arroyo. And so I remember being over there and just seeing the art that was being represented. And uh, they still had a very, a very focused, um, and center idea of food and and um, and where you you know and textures and flavors and and technique and so I remember coming back and working in the dining room and looking at how do I incorporate some of these because it's really there's techniques you know how do I add this technique uh, these new techniques and style of cooking into my repertoire and so I adapted some things that I liked uh, that I felt would match with my style of food. 
And so I, I think it's I think it's great. I think some people will do too much of it. And sometimes you can get, you can kind of get lost in the the hydrocloids of textures and temperatures and different things. I think some things have a place. And I think some things nowadays are a lot more balanced. Um, I, I'm, I'm a more purist. I like to like, you know, give me give me a bunch of you know food that is, you know, that you took time and effort to cook, not necessarily always to manipulate. But I think it's it's the interpretation of the artist. And so I have a lot of respect for it. I mean, I just had an amazing dinner last night at Rue San Mark. You know, Scott Crawford came down from uh, from Raleigh, North Carolina, um, you know, did a tasting menu, like six course tasting menu. You know, it was, you know, hundred and you know, it was a you know, basically a two hundred dollar dinner. You know, um, and it was it was it was amazing. It was you know, and so and he had different levels of technique throughout the the menu. A lot of it was just home, just very good balanced cooking. I I I love it as a chef. Um, I, I'm not eating that like that all the time. Um, you know, but those special occasions, you know, those some of those once in a lifetime dinners. I mean, I ate with Jose Andreas uh, at Cafe Atlantico, the mini bar. Uh, I've eaten there three times. Um, there's 35 course menus, you know, um, and when you have 35 and then to be able to have 35 courses and then leave where you're full and satisfied and all your senses have been enlivened um, is, is an amazing experience. And, and so you have to really think things through in terms of balance and progression. And I used to be really when I was in that world, I was really good at doing multiple course dinners, you know, 10 and 20 course meals. Uh, but when you go into 35 and 40, you know, like, you know, like it's 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 a lot, you know, and um, it, to have that patience and that discipline is it's an art. And so I respect anyone that basically has the platform and the canvas and uh, to be able to do it um, because it, it, it takes a special person and, uh, and skill set to be able to, to pull it off. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Rue St. Mark because Rue St. Mark is a is a terrific French restaurant in, in downtown Jacksonville. Um, if you guys come down to Jacksonville, definitely check it out. Uh, they have something called the Rue Experience, uh, where it's a five-course tasting menu, um, but very excessively priced. I think it's like, last I went, it was like $75 a person or something, really accessible. I think they do have that balance between mm-hmm. approachable fine dining, and it was one that my wife enjoyed. We went for our anniversary one year, took my mom there uh, for Mother's Day. So it's a definitely a special occasion place, but it's approachable and they do a really great job of doing that fine dining type of thing without being pretentious. Um, so so definitely go check out Rue St. Mark um, if you haven't yet. But yeah, uh, I saw where you went there last night and I was like, wow, that, that looks great. That looks great. Yes, yes, nice. So getting back to the challenge, uh, so they say go and off they off to the races they go. And, and Dale is... I don't know what Dale was was quite thinking. He said, he had a quote, never judge food until you really, really taste the authentic version. And to illustrate that, he was talking about mole. Like, um, he's ignorant. He was ignorant about mole and then tasted it and just, like, changed his life. But he he only made uh, mole a couple of times. And he decides, on this challenge, I'm going to make a mole. Uh, And my message is, don't judge food. And a couple of things crossed my mind. I'm like, is is a food competition, the time where you want to cook something that you haven't really done a whole lot. And, 
you know, authentic is kind of a loaded word. So he was, he was kind of going in there going, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on Mexican food, but I'm going to cook Mexican food. And, you know, a lot of people can be like, you probably ought not be doing that. Then you're going to disrespect the culture. <laughs> you're going to disrespect your, you're going to make yourself look silly. You're disrespecting the culture. And this is right after Gabri made a, a, a kick-ass, you know, mole, what, three, four episodes ago. So I wasn't really for sure what was going on in his head. When you heard that and you saw that, did you, did you think anything like that? Or were you like, all right, you do you. <laughs> it's interesting. Like a Richard Blaze, you know, he made a point of saying, like, when he was competing on Top Chef and Top Chef All-Stars, that every time he did a dish, he did something that he had never done before. That was his goal. He wanted to push himself to the limits. You know, once you have a level of, of skill set, um, and you're cooking, uh, you know, you, you have confidence in your ability to be able to do certain things and it doesn't, and, and you will, you know, some people could push themselves to the limit. You know, I, I think there's a lot of chefs that are like that, you know, and some are going to be a little bit more like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go the safe route, uh, in terms of their ability. I mean, hell, I was thinking about, you know, when I was, did a show that I just did the other day, like, you know, uh, or, you know, a couple, several months ago, but that aired the other day, when I was going into the challenge, I was like, what can I do that is going to be something that's going to be challenging? Someone else is going to think the degree of difficulty is very high, but for me, it's, it's not that bad because I can get a lot of things done in a short amount of time. It's all, you got to be confident in your ability, you know, and sometimes they're going to, the challenges are going to come up where uh, they're going to put a different cuisine in front of you that you've never done before. They did that on my season. I remember Kevin Spraga, he had to cook a, uh, you know, a style of food. I think it was Thai. And he had never cooked Thai food before in his life, you know. And uh, No, it was Indian. Sorry, he had never cooked Indian food in his life. And he had he didn't know how to do curry. He was asking, when I'm like, man, like, what do you do with curry? Like, I, I don't cook curry. I'm classical French and Italian, you know. Uh, and so it, sometimes when you get, when you understand you know technique, you know, if you have an idea of it, then, you know, it's maybe a little less risky. Dale already, I think, kind of already psyched himself out and in. I think he was kind of like in the middle. It's like, I'm going to try something. I don't know why he would try something that was, I think mole made a lot of sense because of the flavors, how it was going to be impactful on the palate. But if you've never done it, you've only done it a couple of times, I mean, that may not have been the, the right move, but he, he went for it. You know, what did he have? He didn't have anything else to lose, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. So this is where we see one of uh, Buddha's thousand dollars worth of molds, and he he brings out a mold that is I, I don't know uh, open hands, kind of like the Allstate logo, I guess. Uh, you know, the Allstate holding hands there, and he's just he's just going nuts with this, and it, it was really fun to watch. Um, he's he is. I think he, he, in the elimination challenge, he got in his head a little bit because he was cooking for Gagan. He was cooking for, he, he was doing his style of cuisine, which, you know, the molecular gastronomy and, and he was like, oh, I want to make sure he likes my food and, and I'm going to pull out all these little, these tricks and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So, you know, what did you think watching him and, and pulling out all these molds and different things that he was doing? You know, it's like a kid in a candy store, you know, like he's, you know, he's, He's he's going for it, you know. He's gonna put he's gonna push the envelope. I mean, he wanted to he wanted to to do the best job he possibly could, and he wanted to show as many techniques as he possibly could in in one dish, you know, uh, which may have been a little bit more aggressive. You know, something one of the hardest things to do, and I, I'm guilty of it as well. When you start thinking of you know self editing, um, uh, it takes a lot of restraint because you can go really really simple, 
and then you can go a little bit too far. And then sometimes you got to be right in the middle. And that the one thing that where it's like, all right, well, I want to have balance and this acid, this, you know, the salt, the spice, you know, the umami, like all these different, you know, flavors and tastes, you want to have something represented when you get a, that good, like just, oh my God, this orgasmic bite. And sometimes, you know, taking one thing out would have been okay. And it's like, ah, but would have been really okay. Like, I, you know, it, it's, 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 again, it goes to self-interpretation, you know? And so I think that, you know, let it fly. I mean, he was like, it's, it's like, it's like, you know, Happy Gilmore going up there and letting the, letting the rip, you know, it's like the, everyone was, just, he was just going for it, which I, which I respect. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was definitely, you know, shooting for the stars on that one. And so the challenge being eat with your hands, uh, a few chefs, um, took to classic street foods uh, that you eat with your hands as inspiration. So Victoire uh, was making an Akara. So it's originally from Nigeria. Um, it's a common street food made of mashed black eyed peas, formed into a ball and fried. Uh, Nicole is uh, digging into her her Asian culture and was making, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this, a Jianbing pancake, which is a popular street food in China made with a thin batter spread quickly on a flat hot hot plate. Uh, and then she was going to stuff it and roll it up. She called it a Chinese burrito, which I thought, you know, was a little bit easier to understand. Uh, but Chinese burrito, I thought that was pretty funny. And then Gabri uh, was making an al pastor taco, but using fish instead of pork. Um, also found it funny because his message was about transgenic corn. And this man loved corn. And it was funny because when they played it on, on Top Chef, they did the whole kind of fade in, fade out montage of him talking about corn. So it made it seem like, I don't know how long he was actually talking about corn, but it made it seem like he was going on and on and on about corn. And finally, Victoire looks over to him and says, shut up, shut up talking about corn. And I was like, oh, that is so funny. Like that, that's normally safe for an interview behind the scenes piece. But she actually turned to him and said, will you shut up about corn? And then says, you know, I love you. You know, I love you, Gary. <laughs> yeah, So, so street food, I think, is... Uh, an easy thing to kind of get inspiration from for for this type of challenge. What did you think of that? I wish you'd have gone for something other than a taco because it's like it's so like like okay, it's a taco. Um, but you know that that was his inspiration, so it is what it is. I mean, street food definitely you can you know because you're eating with with your hands. I mean, finger foods. You know that's that's the whole idea about this challenge also. But I think the artistic approach is something you have to take a look at. You know to make it where you know, it's manipulated a little bit where it's a lot of thought into it, where it's not the not the norm. But again, everyone, that's the thing about Top Chef. It's like whatever the challenge is, like some people just get into their own head and did they really understand the challenge? Are they really getting it? You know, uh, as many examples they can talk about, sometimes they, they you can go too far. Yeah, how hard is it as a competitor when you're when you're in these challenges and you you have kind of a train of thought going? How hard is it to, you know, you're you're halfway into it and you, you and you're finding it hard to shift gears, you know. And we didn't see any of that in this particular episode, but you know, I have seen in, in other episodes where you're so focused on, okay, I'm going to make this thing, and then you realize halfway through it's not going to work, but you still kind of it's almost like the a time uh, a time sink fallacy. You, you spend all this time in it. I can't turn back now. I got to keep going. So, you know, that well, I think, I think you have to stick to your guns, you know, and a lot of times I think, I think that's what ends up happening. I think the things will trip you up is if you can't find an ingredient to make it all come together. Um, and that's usually is the biggest pain is like, you're like going like, Oh yeah, I want to do this Katafi wrap goat cheese to go with this 
strawberry rhubarb compote with some arugula or whatever. And then all of a sudden you can't find it. Then you go into like, you gotta do a panko. That's what happened to me on my, on my elimination challenge. I was, I wanted to do like this, this warm goat cheese as a course, uh, you know, back on top chef and, and, and the, uh, the panko, uh, didn't translate as well as, you know, and it was a warm goat cheese, which I've done before. Um, and it just didn't translate like it would have, it would have been in this, uh, kind of this, almost like this, like almost like a rice crispy, not rice crispy, like a shredded wheat kind of texture. And, um, and that can trip you up. And that's what happens a lot of times. It's like, sometimes you got to shift gears a hundred percent versus like just going into second or third, you know, um, like, oh, I can't, you know, I wanted to do this, but this is what happened. Can you describe what you wanted to do? And they're like, oh my God, that would have been amazing. Why did you do that? I'm like, well, cause I couldn't find any Katafi. They're like, oh, well you should have done something else. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, you know, hindsight is 2020. That's why I'm going home. <laughs> so. Right. All right. <laughs> So let's get right into judges' table. So uh, the top three, the Middle East is representing a uh, lot of a um, lot of great dishes here. But the top three were Charbel, Ali, and Amar. Amar uh, being from the U.S. but has a Middle Eastern heritage, and Ali and Charbel both from the Middle East. So e- even when they were um, lined up right there, like yeah, Middle East represents. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah. So Charbel made a labna with confit garlic, uh, zatar paste, tomato puree, chili oil, and a phyllo cracker. I wish I could do a video clip of this because it's really hard to describe this for for just, you know, listening with your ears and you can't see it with your eyes. But he spread the purees and the paste onto the plate to make it look like a Lebanese flag. Um, so it had the colors of the Lebanese flag where Charbel is from. And the phyllo cracker was cut into the shape of a cedar tree, which is what's in the middle of the Lebanese flag. So his message was to bring awareness to his uh, country, to his people, the violence that's going on in his country right now and that it's. You know, life is hard there, and he just wants to bring attention to to Lebanon. And uh, so the, the concept was it was basically like three pastes and purees spread on a plate, and you take the phyllo cracker, and you spread it across all three, and then you take a bite. Um, so that's kind of like what you were talking about before is, you know, you, you have that, and you take this really good bite of everything, and you just kind of keep dipping, and that's – and each – Type you, each time you swipe it through something, it tastes a little bit different because you're getting different purees and different combinations. Um, so, what were your thoughts on on Charbel's um, dish? You know, um, we hired a chef at one of my restaurants down in Miami, um, and uh, he's he's Israeli, um, and I just had his labna um, the other day, um, and it's a bunch of his spreads and dips and everything. And I and I, I immediately when I'm watching that, pl- I'm looking at that plate. I'm imagining the flavors and the textures and everything. And I was just, I was right there at that moment, you know, and, and I could see how that translated very, very well. Um, as simple as some of those ingredients are, the, the marriage of the putting together is a little bit more complex. And, and to tie a story into it, I think it was beautiful. Um, but I was transported right to the moment when I was actually having, uh, his name is, is Ofer, um, the new chef one of our restaurants glass and vine and uh i remember just you know i was immediately at that moment like well, I, I couldn't stop eating and so I'm, i was looking at what he was doing i was like this yeah this looks absolutely amazing that's cool that's cool so interesting you had a recent experience that you kind of could relate it to so that's fun yeah, yeah. 
So Ali made a mushroom kibay, a chickpea mousse, and pickled grape leaves. It's plated on just an obscene amount of greenery, which apparently he got from the stew room, which I thought was hilarious. I, th- I thought they were joking, but I guess they weren't. Um, somebody said, are those the plants from the green room <laughs> or the, from the stew room? So, I mean, you know, inspiration strikes anywhere, right? So he uh, his message was climate change, and um, he, he poured some kind of like water that created steam and it was representative of the ice caps melting and he went all vegan because um he said part of climate change is is being able to eat less meat right because of the process it takes to slaughter animals it's it's horrible for the environment and we're you know in the middle east it's a very meat-centric culture so he made a dish that would usually be lamb lots and lots of lamb and he made it with mushrooms um so the judges appreciate the message you know especially coming from a meat-centric culture um i thought it was when i looked at it i i, I was kind of like that's a lot going on on that plate <laughs> uh I, I think for me the the greenery that was all around it was just kind of a little much for me but according to the judges they thought it was great i think the message behind it this is where storytelling i think can make it can enhance a dish. You know, we, we eat with our eyes and we eat obviously with our, with our, with our taste buds. But when you hear a story behind it, you get a new appreciation for what's presented in front of you. Um, so thoughts on Ali's dish? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I again, I, I think that when you can, you can tell your story and it can translate and it's executed properly and the flavors are where it needs to be. It, that's what it all boils down to. It's like the craveability of it. Like, how craveable is this? How is it like you want to just keep every, eating every bite? You know, um, I, I think that's that's the that's the key. It's the right amount of spice and salt and acid and texture. When you start hitting all those notes, and that's when you actually have something magical. You know, and I think that's I think he was able to achieve that. And then Amar, I think Amar's was, was probably my favorite, at least in, in looks. It looked great. He did a seafood sausage wrapped in green papaya, peanut and tomato purees, dehydrated herbs and toasted peanuts. Um, so it was kind of, it was, again, we're trying to describe it here. It was laid out in kind of a rectangular form with the purees uh, being dotted all across the dish. It kind of reminded me of those. Do you, do you remember those old-fashioned candy buttons? that you used to get yeah. at like Cracker Barrel yeah. or something like that. It looked yeah. like that. It looked like a strip of candy buttons, which was, which was yeah. kind of neat. Again, that whimsy and that uh, fun in that has brought me back to, to that old childhood candy. Um, so the concept was you take the green papaya wrapped sausage and you sweep it across all the purees, herbs and toasted peanut, and you pick it up and eat it. And the concept was that it was supposed to be like, it was inspired by a Thai papaya salad. Uh, had all the flavors of a Thai papaya salad, but in a completely different form. Um, mm-hmm. And his message behind that was the best way to know about a people's culture is to travel, which I'm I'm in huge agreement with. You know, you, you travel around the world and you, and you just look at different cultures and appreciate where they're coming from. Uh, but I, I like liked his dish, one for the, the whimsy of it, the playfulness of it, um, and that the judges thought, you know, that the, they need, he needs to put that dish on his menu at his restaurant. Uh, so what did you think about Amar? I, I love how he got he got out of his comfort zone and he even said he goes, man, I would never I said, I never cook like this ever. Like this is like totally not me. Like I would want to do something a lot bigger, a lot more robust, you know. But you, they showed a picture of him when he was uh, traveling in Thailand. He was on uh, you know riding an elephant, and you know, and he 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 went to that moment, and and he was being very aggressive also cooking a Thai dish. 
you know, for Gangnam who lives in Thailand, you know, he <laughs> like, uh, which he will, he went for it again. He went for it, but he was confident enough because he knows that he's been over there. I'm confident enough in Thai as well, because I've, 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 I've trained and eaten with, uh, you know, um, you know, if a Thai Thai with a lake and, and, you know, and, and her, and her sons and her, and her husband, I've known them last, you know, 25 plus years and eating in their food and having, being educated, I would, I would feel very confident too. And I'm, I'm happy that he was that confident that one, he was confident in the flavors Two, the presentation was stunning. And the way that he, he understood the assignment to be able to pick it up and drag it and finish up in the nuts and get that bite and then know what that, that type of pie salad is supposed to taste like. Again, it transported me to my, you know, in my cookbook, I have a, a Thai collard green salad. Um, I took out the papaya, you know, and I put in a chiffonade of uh, collard greens and it, it it's, it's like taking a Southern ingredient, uh, but making sure the flavors are very, you know, very Thai with everything that goes in it. And, uh, he did exactly the same thing. And I thought, I thought it was, it, you know, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. So I, I thought so too. They, now the judges, the overall winner was Ali and it's his third win of the season. This is the first time I think I disagreed with the judges. I thought, I personally thought Amar should have won that, that dish. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Ali out of the top three was my third. I thought if, if Amar should have won and then Charbel and then Ali, but you know, I wasn't sitting there eating the food, so I don't know. But uh, just from looking at it, I thought, man, I, I thought Amar, you got this in the bag. This is, that's so cool and playful and eh, but he didn't win. That's all right. But Ali's his third win. He's you got to look out for this guy. He is, uh, you know, rising up the ranks and, and being a formidable uh, challenge there. So so let's uh, talk about the bottom um, or well, actually, before we talk about that, the, the two that I thought should have excelled in this challenge, unfortunately, did not Tom and Buddha. This this was right in their wheelhouse. And, and Tom was doing something pretty ambitious. We're going to talk about that because he's on the bottom. Um, and Buddha was just kind of, I guess he rode the middle. He had immunity, so he wasn't going to go home anyway, but he wasn't in the top three either. So um, mm -hmm. just I just thought the two people, especially with Buddha coming off of his win with the quick fire challenge, um, should have been in should have been in the top three. And then the, the two that do uh, molecular gastronomy all the time wasn't even in the running. Did that surprise you too? Well, think of it like this. Um flavor always wins you, you know what i'm saying like uh, cooking technique flavor always wins you know um all the, the all three of those dishes had high acid spice um texture you know um herbaceousness uh and so and there was no in and spice and it had a, a, a left a lingering flavor on your palate that's always gonna win i don't i don't, I don't care what you do uh, it's gonna be the lasting impression. Uh, you think about the last couple of dishes that I've won, they've been Mediterranean, Middle Eastern uh, type flavors that basically are coating the palates, um, you know, that the use of spices and herbs and acid and texture are on top. It's always gonna, it's always gonna win. I think about all the different episodes that I've won and challenges I did, it was very, you know, the spices and the layers of flavors were very pronounced and somewhat identifiable for the culture um, and done well. You know, um, the ones that, you know, you put up a dish that might be very, very French and maybe very neutral tone and maybe technically perfect. 
but is that going to be the one you want to go back and get another bite? No, you want to get another bite of the, of the labna, you know, um, or the kafta with the spice, you know, or or the Thai, you know, you could be like, those are very, very addictive, craveable, you know, cultures and flavors. And so sometimes you're coming in, if you have a lot of French influence versus, you know, um, something that might be middle of the road, you know, you know, it could be a, an Irish dish and it's just like, you know, potatoes and, and meat, and it could be cooked well. If it's, it's not going to beat a dish in terms of memorability, in terms of spice and in those kind of flavors compared to some of these other cultures. It's just not, you know, I don't care what you do. It's just, it's going to be, what is going to be the most memorable? It's going to be lingering. If I, if, perfect example, if the only other dish I would have been able to compete up in that, if someone did something like a a beautiful adobo dish. Think about how, how craveable adobo is, mm-hmm. right? The acid, the peppercorn, the garlic, the bay leaf, you know what I mean? The vinegar, like, the, the, the and, and then you add the fat if it was like a pork belly um, or, you know, the, the good chicken fat or, or a duck leg or whatever, you know, and then if there's perfect rice that went with it, that you put a garlic rice with that, you can't, it hits you back here. It hits you in all your taste buds. You're going to be like, oh my God, I want to keep eating this. I want to keep eating this, you know what I mean? And that's what you have to put on the plate. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what it looks like. If it doesn't taste good, it, it's not going to taste good. And and you're right yeah. with, you know, with adobo being Filipino. I, you know, I love adobo. And it's, you know, I try to eat it faster than my stomach can tell my brain I'm full. It's it's that kind of mm-hmm. that kind of food to, to eat. So, yeah. So let's talk about the, the bottom. Uh, the bottom three here, you had Dale, uh, which his message was don't be ignorant. And then he tries to go and make a mole. Oh, funnily enough, his mole, they said, was fine. Uh, so he made a roasted chicken thigh with corn custard, mole, pineapple, pickled jalapeno and nuts. So the process was to drag the chicken thigh through the trick chicken thigh piece through the corn custard and the mole and, and eat it. So he, he did good on the mole. But where you know you would you would think he would have made okay the chicken thigh was was flabby and needed salt um and you know it doesn't matter how good the rest of it is if you know if the if the vehicle to carry that thing isn't good then it does ruin the whole experience and um and gail said you know he was trying something that was really new to him and i thought yeah that probably wasn't the best time to pull that out so you know he he did okay on the mole but i think he concentrated on it so much that he forgot about everything else what do you think yeah, you know, sometimes that's how it goes. I mean, he should he would have been better off making like a homemade tortilla or like a some kind of you know corn crepe or something unique that he was able to drag that mole up and get that bite. You know, um, I think that would have been the better better choice than even a protein. You know what I mean? Like because you put so much effort in the mole. So some of these moles, they don't, you know, they, all they're all they're gonna have is a little tortilla, you know, to 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 eat it with, you know, that's made with a special corn or whatever. Like he didn't have to go with um, a protein like that, and so that that I think that's interesting. That um, you know, he could have he could have put more emphasis on the the technique of the chicken, like why why you know what was the point of it? Because uh, the highlight was the was the mole. I, I don't know. Um, obviously, it, it didn't didn't go over well. Didn't quite work out. Yeah. Now, Victoire, she she was at Judge's Tale for being on the bottom, and the first thing out of any of the judges' mouth was Gagan saying, I like your socks. And you know that the rest of this judging is going to go downhill after that. You know, it reminds me, because I'm, you know, I'm a call center manager, right, and uh, my day job's a 
being a podcaster is not my day job, but, um, you know, I'm a call center manager and, and, you know, when you're doing performance reviews and you're just trying to find something nice to say about this person that, you know, is completely failing at their job, you're like, your hair looks really good today. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, this is not going to go well for Victoire. And so she made a cassava can, uh, cannoli with textures of roots, white potato and bacon cream pineapple and mango sauce her message was to look at africa through the lens of its food and not just as like a safari you know the, africa can be known for its food and and it is but the judges thought that the dish was trying to ride the line between se- sweet and savory because what she made her street food could be sweet could be savory but she didn't do well on either one she should have just went with one or the other um and then the judges also said that the cream and the cannoli was bland so yeah. Uh, not not good all the way around, unfortunately. What, what were your thoughts on that one? When I saw it, I was like, mm, she could have gone. I, I think she was trying to take her influences over in Italy and then what she does, you know, culturally and combine the two. And it, it, didn't, it didn't translate. I think if she would have done something that was rooted to, uh, you know, the, the Congo and what she's used to having and whatnot, I think that would have you know, done, done better. Um, uh, I would, I, I, I personally, and again, it's so hard when you're looking at it, when in the mind of the chef, when they're at that moment, then they get stuck on it. That's they're going to go, they're going to push through it from the outside looking in, I would have probably done something else. I mean, but that's, it's, it's all an opinion. I mean, hell, someone could look at me when I'm cooking, like, well, why did you do that dish? I have other ulterior motives. I'm like, I just had a cookbook come out like I am doing Southern cooking with global flavors like it's, it's this my style that I do and there's a purpose behind it. And so a challenge may not resonate for some people in the way that I may put that dish out. But the way I want to represent myself is how I want to do it. Like, for example, my the publisher, uh, James, that did the got my the, the basically secured my deal um, through Rizzoli. He says, you know, I love your approach. Uh, you, you know, you did an amazing job. I love your approach on how you, um, your your Southern influences and with the global flavors, it, it definitely translated to even the way you competed. It was amazing to see. That, that's what I want to hear. Like, what if I didn't win, what did it look like to you? It looked like it was freaking amazing. She said it was amazing. You know what I mean? So sometimes, like, you have to, you know, you have to stick to your guns. And I just think that hers just didn't translate uh the way it was supposed to and uh, i i didn't i didn't get the combination i didn't i didn't like what i saw and i didn't think she would be on the top by any stretch but i was like they're a different part of the country the world i mean i know what the hell i'm talking about <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? well you know there, there's a reason why uh kangen there's no kangen italian fusion places around right so <laughs> yeah it, she was trying to, to fuse the two together didn't didn't quite work out and uh yeah she's on the bottom for it and then tom which is the guy i thought should have been in the top three this is right up his alley he's in the bottom again so he's in the bottom two twice in a row or bottom three twice in a row now he made something called the mentor the pumpkin which kind of highbrow tr- trying to make the, a, a carrot um, turmeric, pumpkin, mousse, chutney thing and turned it into a gel and then tried to form it into a pumpkin. And then he served it in this clear plastic box. Um, and, you know, he, he he didn't quite estimate the time for the mousse to defrost the way it should have. So you could, you know, eat it with any kind of dignity. <laughs> but the judge said that the mousse was broken, the gel was falling apart. 
I, I didn't understand the message of Tom's dish. I, I don't even, I don't remember if the, he even said what his message was, but it just, you know, technique, it, technique execution was not there. And uh, if the moose, Tom Colicchio actually did say if the moose was set, he would have won the thing because the flavor was, was all there. Again, this is one of those things where Tom maybe got a little ahead of himself. Uh, maybe didn't give himself the right amount of time to, to finish this, but yeah, it, it it didn't look good for for him on this one. I think he would have um, if he. I think he used gelatin, and if he would used agar, he would have actually had a better a better uh, outcome because the agar uh, holds better um, even if it once it warms up, it'll it would it would it would have stayed the, the texture he wanted. Um, but sometimes, you know, sometimes a lot of these European chefs are so used to doing a lot of different mousses that you know that's kind of like their 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 wheelhouse and. You know, um, you know, Tom said what he said. He should have. You would think that he would have used another, um, you know, another uh, hydrochloride that would actually be stable, which would have been the agar gelatin. Uh, you know, as soon as heat hits it, it's just, you know, um, yeah. it doesn't matter how much you put in it. But agar is gonna, it'll still hold, but it'll be a little bit softer. And so, um, I don't know. Yeah, didn't work out for him. And then the one that was eliminated was Dale, which, you know, right after he gets back from Last Chance Kitchen, gets kicked right back into Last Chance Kitchen again, yeah. uh, which brings us right to Last Chance Kitchen, which I thought, so the last time it was Dale versus Begonia, Last Chance Kitchen, and then we don't see Begonia anymore. So I, she's she's done. She's gone yeah, because yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, Dale versus uh, Sylvia that was eliminated last week so long begonia she was she was well loved i hate that she's not there kind of makes me sad because i loved her food and her approach to food and i'm I'm just sad i'm not gonna be able to see it anymore but oh well uh so dale versus sylvia so the challenge was to make their version of a classic omelet in 15 minutes so there's a you know legend that goes around that chefs when they get hired or when they're doing the job interview uh, they're forced to make an omelet because if you can make an omelet well, then you can do everything well because omelets are so uh, temperamental and they go from perfect custardy, you know, curds to overcooked rubbery mess in a matter of seconds. So, um, did you, you mentioned you made a, you hired a chef? Did you make him make an omelet? <laughs> no, but that's going to probably be a practical. I'm going to start to do more often than not because you know I have some chefs that 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 need better. Um, uh, skills at cooking eggs. Uh, we do a lot of brunch, um, especially at Red Rooster, and some of the chefs that make it on, um, you know, their their egg cookery hasn't been as great, and um, you take it for granted uh, that everyone's gonna be able to do it. Oh, go over and jump on the station, and then all of a sudden that you're getting reviews of, of bad eggs, and then and then the other chefs are letting these bad eggs go out, and it's like, yeah, I I, I definitely agree. It's one of those, those those things that you should be. A lot better skilled at and um so yeah <clears throat> i make great eggs I, I love eggs i've been cooking them since i was three so like I, i'm very passionate about it um so i get i get i get the challenge you know yeah i love a good omelet i mean i my omelet making is horrible but i love a good omelet so dale decides to go with a traditional omelet with chives mushrooms and a brown butter spinach puree um, i thought he was going to put the mushrooms and spinach like in the omelet but he served it as a side in the puree to me, the puree did not look good. It, it was like this little green thing in the middle of the plate, and it looked kind of unappealing. I mean, did did you think the same? Yeah, I I think at that point he was already defeated. 
he was already just like his sensor his senses was just not like locked in because I don't think I think if he was really paying attention he would have not put that on the plate. Yeah, I don't know how soon they film Last Chance Kitchen right after they get eliminated, but um, I mean the omelet looked great. I I just thought you know put the mushrooms in there and and make it a really good omelet, but that green thing it was just this weird shade of green that just turned me off. I I didn't like it, but I think what saved him was what Sylvia did because Sylvia made something called an Arnold Bennett omelet. Never heard of it. Um, but apparently it's named after a person, famous writer that stayed at a hotel that she was working in and they named an omelet after him. Uh, so the eggs were cooked with smoked salmon, truffles, hollandaise sauce, and chives. Um, yeah. So not a traditional omelet. In fact, it was a baked egg dish. And uh, so it was more of a scramble than an omelet, which, you know, scrambles are delicious, but it's not an omelet. And um, I think Tom Colicchio caught on to that and said, you know, you, your, your eggs were way overcooked and baking it in the oven just made it even more overcooked. So uh, I don't know quite what she was thinking when she was going with it. So when he said make a traditional omelet, you, you make a traditional omelet. You know, she, you don't make yeah. an omelet that you, you only heard of because you work at the Savoy Hotel and this – you know, British author happened to come in a lot and, and order his eggs this way. And you, you, you yeah. don't call it an omelet just because you want to call it an omelet. Um, mm. So I don't know. What do you think was going through Sylvia's head on this challenge? Um, I, 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 I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know what. Um, <laughs> is it, yeah, is it, what's crazy to me is um, the challenge is an omelet. Don't give me like something that's totally not an omelet. I mean, they've again, they've seen enough uh you, you know uh youtube things and whatever with you know different chefs or gordon ramsay you know doing a perfect perfect omelet or a daniel balloud or a jacques pepin uh you know like there's a lot of demos out there you know uh wolfgang puck you know uh like follow like listen to the rules the rule says an omelet make a freaking beautiful omelet like tom would have been like totally blown away if he was seeing a beautiful french uh, omelet, rub with butter, little garnish of chives, and then, you know, and and maybe like you know some cheese on the inside or something. And he took a bite and be like, he's that simple. That he he's a purist. He loves other things, but give him him you know give him great linguine and clams, and the clams are not gritty, and the clams are perfect, and they were just opened up, and the right amount of crushed pepper and parsley at the end, and like in the, the the pasta del dente and is you know using the pasta like he's gonna be like i remember he ended up doing a cooking thing and he doesn't do it all the time i forget what season it was and he literally um i remember after he put the dish up i remember sending a message on um on uh in, a, in, a, in his dm i was like chef just so you know i saw what you cooked and i said and it's good to see like you know you still you know, have the skills and the the presence to to cook something perfect in a quick amount of time. And he and because everyone had to cook off of his time that it took him to make a dish, and he did it in like it was like eight or nine minutes. It was like quick, and it was a beautiful dish. And I was like, you know, he was all thanks. You know, and he was like, no, I appreciate that. You know, he said, I'm like, he's a he's like, I'm not he's like, I don't do that all the time, but you know, you know, but that's why you know that's why he why, is who he is. So why is Tom yeah. Colicchio, right? That's right. So uh, so Dale wins Last Chance Kitchen, and 
he has a chance to get back on the show. Two-time loser Dale could have a chance to get back on the show, which I'm not for sure how I feel about that just yet. I mean, I'm all for the underdog, but he got eliminated twice, my dude. I mean, it's it, this may not be for you. But quick, a series of quick fires is very different from the 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 challenges that are on the Top Chef proper. So who knows? Yeah. We'll see what happens. That's right. We'll see what happens. Well, we did it. Um, I, I got to say, I think this was probably my um, favorite episode to date. I just loved all the different whimsical dishes that were made, the, the fun that everybody seemed to be having, whether they were on the bottom or the top. It looked like the chefs genuinely were having fun with this challenge. And that's that's when you see some real magic happening in, in both the dishes and just what, mm-hmm. what ends up being filmed. Right. So, um, yeah, I think it was one of my my favorite to date. So we'll we'll see what happens next week. We'll we'll continue to see if Dale can stay king of the mountain and last chance kitchen and fight his way back into the collective eye roll of all the rest of the contestants that he may be walking in front of. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Dale, you're a great guy. If you happen to be listening, just wasn't in the cards for you this time, but we'll see. (laughs) Well, Kenny. Kanji McGee, thank you again for uh, Kanji McGee. Thank you again for being on the show. Catch uh, Chef Kenny Gilbert's cookbook, Southern uh, Cooking Global Flavors, on bookshelves now. Uh, went through a second printing, so very very popular. A lot of people are loving it. Uh, so again, congratulations on that, and uh, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good. Thanks a lot.